Hi! <laughs> We're back! <laughs> Uh, we went cash today. We did. Didn't I was going to say, we've we're running out of up. shirts. <laughs> we're running out of energy. We're running out of shirts. Well, it's that time of year. Right. So just so you know, we've taped these in advance because it's coming up in the holidays and we're not, she and I aren't, aren't going to be able to get together as much. So we decided to tape a bunch in advance. So that's why you see the Christmas lights behind us, yes. which I'm like, should I take them down? She's like, no, no. it's us. This it's real. We are. So we're real sorry TV. if you get distracted by the Christmas lights in the back. <laughs> and I thought, I think that today's topic is really apropos. And hold on, because the train, I'm going to close this door so we don't hear the train. See, we um, live in the real world just like you. <laughs> right. So, um, so, what we were talking about, and I had talked about this because I feel like this time of year, I notice my drinking increases this time of year mm -hmm. because my stress level increases this time of year. Mm -hmm. And um, I know that we have talked about this before. I think we did a, did a segment on this um, on CBS 12. How do you know <laughs> when you have an addiction? Mm -hmm. um, because you know, it's not so clear cut in a lot of cases. I think, you know, when you see the addict, you think, oh, they can't work. They are hiding liquor bottles in the cabinets and, you know, or they're, they're not able to function. But there's so many people who function with addiction. Yeah, and that's kind of what we would call late stage addiction. You know, first thing to know is alcoholism addiction is a disease and it's a progressive disease. So what that word progressive means is it's kind of a beginning, a middle, and an end stage. So we see different things in the beginning stage. Like, for example, in the beginning stage of alcoholism, you just look like a college student. Right. You're fine. <laughs> You're doing the yeah. same thing that everybody else is doing, right? No big deal. Um, interestingly, I well, I don't want to out anybody. My daughter just went away to college. So, you know, I hear stories and whatever, and it's like, at the end of the day, as a trained professional, I can start to look at some of that drinking in college that where that is not what we see. Right. That is a little bit on the outsider extreme. But for the most part, you know, people go to college, everybody's drinking, everybody's doing it, everybody's partying. Mm -hmm. But, um, and so it can look very comparable. And that's beginning stage. And so maybe after you talk to somebody who's sober, what they might say to you is, in college, all my friends and I would go out drinking, but at two, they were ready to go home, and I was mad, and I wanted to go Keep to drinking. the after party club yeah. and continue till five or six. The party is never over for mm -hmm. that person. And they would say things like, you know, my friends would go out and have fun and whatever. I would go back to somebody's room and have sex, and I didn't even know who they were, and then I would wake up and I would feel horrible about myself. So these are kind of some of the beginning signs of addiction is that we compromise our values. We do things that we're ashamed of, we're embarrassed of, we can't believe that we did after the fact when we wake up the next morning or whatever. It's like we wake up with that kind of, um, I love the word, like, ugada feeling, like, oh, you all, And ugh. you all know that person, you know. Hopefully you're not that yeah. person, but we all knew that person. No, you know? it's so true. And, I mean, I went to University of Florida, which was the biggest party school <laughs> yes. in the state so at that point, right? <laughs> right? And so we, you know, I was around a lot of drinkers or whatever. Right. But I also knew a lot of people who had a really great time and then came home, and the next morning they weren't embarrassed or ashamed. Mm -hmm. But I also knew people where they were, like, 
like come out of the dorm like you know like oh or they were doing the walk of shame and you know they're calling and they don't even know where they are can you pick me up i don't know where i am calling to make sure you're not mad at them yeah (laughs) oh remorseful you know so yeah so there is a little bit of a shift you know we see that signs of addiction is that we're often remorseful and ashamed after the fact and we compromise our value systems and we do things that we really don't want to To do. do That are kind of, I love the expression when you go to AA meetings, I love the things people say and I remember hearing a lot, you know, I did something against my own will. Mm. Like my brain took me there, I had to have another drink, I had to have another drink, and so I did this, but I didn't even want to, Yeah. right? So that's kind of early stage. Middle stage addiction, you start to see consequences, we call them consequences, like uh, you're pregnant and you never wanted to be and you don't know who the daddy is, yeah. right? You have a DUI and you don't remember driving. Your spouse isn't speaking to you and you have no recollection of why, why? they're not speaking to you. Your children, run from you you know when you get home late because they're not sure if you're drunk and they think that's a scary daddy so you're starting to have consequences you're having consequences but it doesn't have to be that dramatic i mean can can a can okay can a couple of glasses of wine a night be an addiction if you talk to someone in a treatment center and you go to them and you say i'm just worried about my alcoholism and i'm just worried about my alcohol intake um and the we are trained most of us are going to look for consequences because that's the difference between a social drinker or you know a person who's self-medicating now here's what's so dicey about this suzanne there's so many labels there's so many categories do i self-medicate with food yes do i daydream about a filet mignon on a rough day yes Yes. i do is it causing me am i eating filet mignon every night am i am i 75 pounds overweight is my family saying you gotta stop you Mm -hmm. you know you're out of control if they run out of steak you scream at the waiter like Mm -hmm. are there consequences most of us self-medicate in different ways shopping an extra glass of wine sugar chocolate Mm -hmm. right most of us self-medicate but when you're talking about addiction you're talking about consequences you talk about consequences in different areas of your life socially your friends you all know this person yeah i'm not going out with you because last time you got so fall down drunk and you encouraged those guys to hit on us and i you know i'm not i don't want to be around you right right socially your um relationship in your marriage so your relationship that your spouse is like you know what you go without me because you get so mean when you drink i don't even want to talk to you Mm -hmm. work you've missed several days because you're too hungover and yeah. you just couldn't you do it. You had the flu. Yeah, you had the flu again. <laughs> right, right. Nobody gets it four times right, in one season, right. but you did. Right. right. Um, you now have financial issues. You, you're spending money you don't have and you're making bad financial choices. You have legal consequences. You have a DUI. You, you, know, you hurt somebody. You punch somebody in a bar fight because you were in a blackout and you didn't know what you were doing. Mm-hmm. So these are what we look for. Now, again, I was talking about middle alcoholism. You can be an alcoholic who's 19 and maybe you don't have any consequences yet to speak of. Although in the world we live in today with social media, consequences seem to be showing up quicker for these folks, you know? Let me ask you this because, you know, marijuana is becoming legal in many parts of the country. Um, And, you know, it's... (laughs) I hear people joke about it, about, you know, wanting to get a prescription for marijuana. Mm. And, you know... What does that look like? Because, you know, I can see myself having a glass of wine in front of my children. I could never imagine myself smoking marijuana in front of my children. I mean, it just, 
That is that normal? A, I don't think it is. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't want to be judgmental. This one's a really hard one for me to talk about, Suzanne, because I feel like pot has ruined many people's lives that I know of, and especially mm -hmm. like in my family, even. You know, well, I, you know, I can. My cousin is in recovery now, and he's very vocal about it. But I mean, he was just a pothead. That's all, you know. And it ruins relationships. It ruins, you know, jobs. I mean, um, and then. Everybody says it's not a gateway. I'm sorry. I can't even have that debate with people because it is and my cousin would tell you like You know it made it normalized it for so many years that and it was the thing that worked until it didn't mm -hmm. And then there was pain meds and then you know and you will be hard-pressed to find somebody who started on pain meds right. You know what I mean? They typically Started at least they did pot recreationally because it's a brain it's a mindset of like well It's not that big a deal, you know a little this a little that like yeah, I smoke a little oh we'll have this pill Okay, well I'll try it so we kind of it loosens us up, you know, mm -hmm. especially for people that are rigid You know um, if they get loose on that then they get loose on well I'll try this or I'll try that pill or whatever and now now we're in a big crisis yeah. Certainly in the opioid crisis people have a surgery and that can begin that mm -hmm. pathway but I'm very nervous about the whole pot thing because so many people make it that it's not addictive, it's not an issue. Mm -hmm. Listen, anything, you, you can anything get addicted can to anything. Right. And that's another sign of addiction is obsessions and compulsions. Mm -hmm. If you're waking up in the morning and the first thing that you're thinking about is smoking pot right. and it's obsession and then all through the day, when can I get more, how can I get more, when can I go on break, when can I get to that place to buy this or whatever, anything we're doing that with, that's what addiction looks like. It looks like obsessions and compulsions. Oh, it's my ritual, I wake up and I smoke a bowl and then I go do this and then I come home for lunch and I smoke a little bit and then on my way home I stop here and I get more. If you're having obsessions and compulsions, that speaks to addiction. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because, um, you know, I noticed after my divorce that I was drinking. Sure. I was self-medicating sure, a lot, you know, every single night having mm -hmm. a glass of wine or two or maybe it was three. Right. Um, and, you know, what What really changed things for me, and I, I think, you know, obviously we want to talk about what addiction looks like, um, but not just what addiction looks like, but if you're, if you're struggling with self-medicating with anything in your life, you know, what turned things around for me was really finding something healthy in my life. Mm -hmm. And it really did. And it wasn't an overnight thing. You know, you can't do yoga once and all of a sudden you're going to not feel like having Woo! wine anymore. But I will tell you that doing yoga has and and creating sort of a healthier lifestyle it doesn't i don't feel the need for wine as much as i used to and granted right now during the holidays it feels like i need a little bit more <laughs> but but um it when you start to replace those those compulsions and those needs with mm -hmm. something that's healthier it's almost like your body rejects the it, stuff that's not so healthy for It becomes, you. I love this word, counterintuitive. Yeah. It becomes like, well, wait a minute. Do I really want to eat this chocolate when I just worked out for mm -hmm. an hour? Because that doesn't really match up. Mm -hmm. So I think that what I agree with you. And the other thing that you're doing, Suzanne, is that 
we are self-soothing with chocolate, wine, whatever. So what's happening is you're telling me you learn to soothe in other ways. Nice. Yoga soothes me. Meditation soothes me. Reading my book soothes me. Petting my dog soothes me. So you mm -hmm. found these other ways to soothe yourself so that now the wine is becoming a little further apart and you've got these other ways of soothing yourself. You know, yeah. that's really what it, and, and believe me, I mean. And uh, you know, for people that are, and I know people that are struggling that, that have, you know, that legitimately need pain medication or sure. whatever it is Absolutely. that you legitimately need but yeah. I always feel like that's such the go-to for for you know the medical community and you know just give you a medicine and it'll make you feel better mm -hmm. but really you can start to heal yourself with you know creating healthy habits too I will tell you a very interesting story in my life so so genetically diabetes runs in my family in a way that is disastrous I mean deadly 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 and on my on my birth father's side and um, I started to have some conflicts with prediabetes and so one day I woke up and I was like okay well diabetes is sugar right so I don't need sugar. I said to my family, I don't need sugar. We don't need sugar. Eric's like, no, you don't need sugar. I'm like, well, then I'm not going to have it. Yeah. So I went off sugar for about two years. Like I went off, I mean, zero, like no sugar. Like yeah, you were no carbs. <laughs> I had not a dry, if it said one milligram, I'd be like, mm, okay. And I remember going back to my doctor and I lost like 20 pounds and went back to my endocrine doctor and she's like, oh, you know, look great. I mean, you seem to be doing good. Your numbers are much better. My God, they're down two points. What are you doing? I said, I went off sugar. And she went, what? what? <laughs> and I said, I went off, I, it's not required, right? I went off sugar. I just stopped sugar and I stopped carbs. And she was like, well, you don't have to do that. <laughs> And I was like, Hello. but there's dead people all over the place in my family right. from diabetes, like ketoacidosis dropped dead and this one lost their limbs and died and like bad. Mm -hmm. And she's like, and she paused and she said, I have never, nobody's ever done that. And I actually got a little testy with her and I said, you know what? I have a question for you. Why didn't you recommend that I go off sugar? Right. I've been sick. I've been struggling. I've been, why didn't you recommend that I go off sugar? And she went, well, because nobody ever is willing to do that. And it was fascinating Crazy. for me that... But we're willing to pop a pill and not know what it does to our body. She has a ton of people on different diabetes medications. And don't get me wrong, this is a dicey disease. And, and if you need to have the medication, I understand right. it. And I might at some point, I mean, I, I, this is a tough disease. But the fact that she never even talked to of anybody about, about restricting their sugar or watching their sugar or going off sugar. And granted, the carbs is a dicey thing. Like now in my life, I have to have some carbs and it's all about finding the healthy. But she had never even discussed that with anybody or yeah. recommended like, hey, get with a good nutritionist and see if you can cut way back. Even when I would ask her when I started to be pre-diabetic, I'd say, wait a minute, I'm drinking chai tea every day. Is that okay? She'd go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you look up chai tea. It's like 30 milligrams of sugar. It's like your daily allowance for the whole day in one cup. If she had said to me, yeah, that's like sludge in your body. Like you're yeah. probably struggling since you're insulin resistant and your body's not wanting to break down sugar. Probably don't have that chai tea. Never said a word. Here, get these supplements, get these vitamins. So we are, I agree with you. Right. Now my new endocrinologist is all in and supportive and all that. But it's like, even my old endocrinologist, who's a wonderful human being, 
is bought into this whole concept like no you don't need to do anything on your own right. like just take a pill or take a drug or we can always right. put you on more insulin or more that and so yeah i think that that's a profound way when you're looking at looking at addictions you're looking at self-medicating you know exercising meditation yoga healthy the diet, gym, healthy mean, diet there's you know, water oh my gosh yeah for me i mean i i you know and this is all goes back to me because i have addiction in my family. Mm -hmm. I, I have a brother who struggles with addiction. Um, you know, I had an uncle who struggled with addiction. And, um, you know, I, I know that I, you know, have a predisposition yeah. to, 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 to want to self-soothe a little bit too much. Right. And so, you know, it just really was a wake-up call for me, mm -hmm. especially after my divorce and you know, feeling like I was a little bit out of control. Um, but what I started to do was just, you know, making myself lunch every day and I made myself a salad every day and, you know, really watching what I was eating. Mm. And then I re re found yoga and that really helped. And so, I mean, I'm not perfect, you know. I <laughs> No, but you I had almost to have a, a three quarters of a bottle by, of wine by myself last night. <laughs> but, but I will tell you that it does get better. You know, it does get better when you start to really take care of yourself. Well, you know what you just reminded me of that's so important to talk about is that a lot of all of addiction mm -hmm. is about most of addiction. I have to be so careful, but most of addiction is about feelings. Yes. Okay, and so here's the thing. If you're looking at your life right now and you're saying, God, I've been drinking a lot of wine and you know, I just feel like crap every day when I wake up, that's another one. Like if, you, if you're doing something mm -hmm. that is providing negative consequences, one of them being that you feel horrible and you do it again, you might wanna look at the addictive quality because who does that really? Like right. if I go to Zumba and then I feel like I'm gonna die and I, and I injure every part of my body and then I go back again the next day like okay anything that's that causes you severe pain or whatever and you keep doing it might be an addiction thing but back to feelings so if you addictions are about feelings and they're about making feelings feel better and go away and stuff so if you're re watching this video and you're saying to yourself okay I think that I have an issue with chocolate or wine or whatever it is pause before you have that glass of wine mm -hmm. pull out a pen and paper and write everything you're feeling. See if you can put some time and space. You're going through a divorce. I mean, nobody would believe this because my friends would laugh because I, I come from an alcoholic home. I'm not a drinker. I'm like a total lightweight. Yeah, you're one not. I'm just not a drinker, right? <laughs> so I give her one glass of wine. <laughs> yeah, no mas. So I'm not a drinker. I, I, you know, I got my stuff, but that's not it. Um, food, you know, sugar was a big thing for me. Shopping, love it but I'm not a drinker. So when I went through my divorce, I was like walking down the aisles. I'm in a house by myself with my two kids every night, lonely, lonely. So I'm walking down the aisle and I was like, mm, I love these fruity wine coolers. Like they're like <laughs> raspberry Kool-Aid and you know, blackberry special. They remind me of high school. They remind me of college and high school. Right. So I'd like grab a little four pack right. and you know, I'd think to myself, well, it's my reward. I'll go home, I'll get the kids in bed and then I'll have, and so for the first week it was like, oh, I had one, you know, every other night or whatever. And then the next week I was like, put the little four pack and then I was like, well, there's eight, seven days in a week. So I grabbed the next one and I go home and then I have a wine cooler every night after mm -hmm. the kids were in bed. And my third week at the grocery store, I was like grabbing for the second one. And literally I heard a voice go, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. 
Your mom is an alcoholic. You're, you know, you, every family member you have is a drug addict, alcoholic, in recovery. What are you doing? And I'm like, oh, and I pulled it back out of the cart and I never, I, I don't think I've bought, and it's 13 years ago, well, well, you really shouldn't, as an I adult, be buying wine coolers. Bring it. <laughs> I'm just saying. No, the, no. The, this, there's a theme here. The last time I bought wine, I was headed to your house. <laughs> Bright blame. Yeah. Blame the wine. Yeah. The last time. But I mean, years went by that I didn't buy any wine because mm-hmm. I realized, and so it was like I confronted myself. I'm like, you are in the darkest time of your life. Mm-hmm. Face it. Yeah. Deal with it. So recognizing that emotion is what we medicate over. So if you're not in therapy, even just holding yourself accountable, writing that journal, like a lot of people with food addiction have to keep a food journal because they're headed to the refrigerator for the fourth time. They've already eaten a meal. They don't need to be in the refrigerator. And their sponsor will say, sit down and write. Mm -hmm. And write about, you know, I feel so inadequate or so-and-so broke up with me over text and I just feel like a loser. And write about what's going on. You'd be surprised how just journaling and feeling, dealing with those emotions and getting that out of you feel so much better you know what? I don't need that second bowl of ice cream or I don't need, I don't need to do this. I'm not really hungry because that's the thing. It's like the craving, the hunger is feelings. Right. And so if you deal with the feeling, you'd be like, you know what? I'm going to go work out and do a little yoga. I really don't want a glass of wine. So see if you can deal with the feelings first mm-hmm. and instead of medicating the feelings first. And then if you still want something, okay, right. but try to put a gap in there. Yeah. That's good advice. You know? Yeah. And also, um, Oh, I was going to say, I was just going to say something really profound, <laughs> but of course, Hold the I'm, phone. wait, how, we're in our forties. So it has been a long day and we have Christmas lights on in the background, yes. <laughs> which are distracting to me. Yes. Yes. Um, I can't. um, oh gosh, I just had it again. Come okay. On, well, save on. me. Save me. <laughs> um, so I did want to complete my thought and interrupt me when you get it back. Um, so we have beginning, middle and late stage. So late stage alcoholism is you guys know this one well. Your family member's gone to the doctors. They have cirrhosis of the liver. They have a massive, you know, situation medically, and their and their doctors like you're, you're drinking. Your your organs are shutting done, down. and you if you have another drink, you're gonna die. You know, and so the medical things start to occur is usually what we see in that late stage. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly those other consequences can follow as far as, you know, family or DUIs and things like that. But, you know, beginning, middle, late, that's usually what we see as some kind of medical crisis. What, um, I know that this is kind of a little bit off topic, but how, if you're a parent and you are worried about your child, mm-hmm. um, how do you kind of spot those signs in your child? I mean, you know... Uh, obviously teenagers you can tell when you know if mm-hmm. they're not home at the right time or whatever but you know as they get a little bit older how do you start to spot that well again i think that's why i love the consequences as a barometer is is your child calling you from college and you know a lot of us nowadays we have great relationships with our kids i mean mm-hmm. there's so much with social media you you kind of there's not much to, to the imagination anymore. You kind of know what your kids are doing. And right. so a lot of kids are really forthright with their, their parents now. So when your kid is calling you and she's crying, she's embarrassed, she, she doesn't know where she was when she woke up this morning or she's having these consequences. That's when I would say it's important to, you know, sit down and say, you know, I'm, I'm worried because normal drinking doesn't look like this, mm-hmm. you know, and trying to explain, you know, what social drinking, yeah, social drinking, you have a few drinks, you start to feel a little buzz. Hmm. 
I'm out, I'm 19 years old, I don't really wanna be in an environment where I'm not safe, let me start drinking some waters and let me kind of pull back a little bit or you know, that there's some accountability, I'm really just doing this to connect and be social, I really don't wanna be obliterated, I don't wanna be vomiting, I don't, you know, so that ability to control. So when you're seeing that your kid is telling you that they got in trouble, they're having consequences, they got arrested, they they you know they got raped and that, that's a bad example but they found themselves in a situation where that they're like I yeah, I was it was dangerous yeah. that you know, it's never anybody's fault but I was completely blacked out and I was passed out in the fraternity house and then these bad things happen and they're feeling horrible guilt and shame that they even were in that situation that kind of thing where they're beating themselves up they're feeling guilty they're feeling ashamed I think as parents sometimes we can kind of say well you know they're just being kids, right? They're in college. Right, and you don't want to beat up on them. I, I, and I hate the rape example because it's nobody's fault that's right. getting raped. But, um, you know, when they're beating up on themselves, they're embarrassed, they're ashamed of their behavior that they're doing, or they're in a blackout and they don't know what they're doing. That I think it's healthy as a parent to say, honey, that doesn't look like normal social drinking to me. Yeah. That looks like you might have a brain chemistry where when you add alcohol, your brain is off to the races and you unbeknownst to you not wanting to get into a bad situation but you're finding yourself in bad situations you're finding yourself not able to decide for yourself you're finding you have no memory or recollection and that's called a blackout and that's not part of normal drinking yeah and I think it's so important as parents that we are honest with our kids about that kind of stuff mm -hmm. I mean don't be scared to talk to your kids about that especially if you have alcoholism in your family you know right. do, and, and that you should be talking to them when they're young. I mean, yeah. I've already had the conversation with both of my kids, and they're yeah. 12 and 8, about having alcoholism in our family. Yeah, and it's know? part of the genetics. Just like, you know, I, I've talked to my kids about diabetes, you know? Right. It's like, which they ignore. But they're <laughs> <laughs> like, really? Whatever, Mom. eating candy. <laughs> um, that one's gone over like a lead balloon. But yeah, I definitely think it's important to share that with your kids. And, mm -hmm. you know, I have the blessing of having sober people in my family. So they role model like, hey, this yeah. is how I used to be. This is how I got in trouble. This is where I'm at now. So definitely don't hide it. If, if you're sober, that's amazing. Please incorporate your child into mm -hmm. that and let them know that they're predisposed because yeah. they are. And, um, and, and talk about your college experiences and good and bad or whatever, or your experiences that they're doing that are similar, that they're clubbing and you used to go to the club. And so that you can educate on some normalcy because they're, if here's the funny thing, if you're an alcoholic, who do alcoholics hang out with? Other alcoholics. Other alcoholics. So their ability to judge normal is going to be zero because they're going to be drawn to the people that do it just like them. Mm -hmm. And then you say, well, this is an issue. And they go, you don't know anything. Everybody. So sharing about you know what it looks like to be normal and what is acceptable, what is social, what is problematic, and explaining the brain chemistry because a lot of people don't understand that that when I put this in my brain, these things happen, happen. and it's not my you know, fault. I explain it to my kids like an allergy. I mean, it's like it an, is allergy. an allergy. You know, you you have an allergy if yep. to to something. You don't eat it, you know, because you're body rejects it mm -hmm. so it's the same with alcohol if you have an allergy to that you can't have it but here's know? what's fascinating do you know what's fascinating about allergies we crave them if you are allergic to something you will crave it really absolutely oh that's interesting yep I'm not so, allergic to anything so. Yeah. <laughs> so people that are alcoholics crave alcohol interesting and their body has an abnormal reaction to, to it, it. 
That's yeah. crazy. Same thing yeah. with sugar. It's fascinating. It is fascinating. So, yeah. All right. Well, that was a good discussion. Thank you, Shannon. And if you have any specific questions about addiction, she is a, an, are you, would you call yourself an addiction specialist? Um, I've certainly worked, worked in, in the field, field for, yeah. I did 13 years at a treatment center in their family program. So specializing with family members of addicts. Mm -hmm. I am not recovering addict. I am recovering love addict. I'm recovering codependent. <laughs> I'm recovering love addict too and a codependent. Yeah. So, you know, I like to date the alcoholic and try to save them. But, you know, but I definitely have had, you know, my mom has 35 years of sobriety. So I've learned so much from just being around individuals that have sobriety. And then also I grew up with her because I'm not 35. I'm going to be 46. So I did 10 years with a drunk mom and 35 years, you know, with a sober, with mom. A sober mom. So, you know, lots of experience exposure to addiction yeah so if you have any questions you can leave a comment if you guys have any just mm -hmm. uh, show topics that we'd like us to yes, discuss please. we are open to it um, we appreciate you watching our videos what your friends won't tell you we appreciate you sharing our videos we appreciate you liking our videos um, so thank you all for watching and happy, happy holidays, holidays. <laughs> all right bye We're guys. Out. <laughs>